Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers from Inside Scientific. Inside Scientific is the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today, we are joined by Tanya Coulthard and Anil Kumar Reddy. Tanya is a product manager at Indus Instruments, a company known for their preclinical cardiovascular research tools. Anil Kumar is Assistant Professor of Medicine, Cardiovascular Sciences at the Baylor College of Medicine. They are here to speak with us about specific questions regarding best practices and how to apply non-invasive blood flow velocity measurements. Let's jump in. So the first question is, can this system help assess cerebral blood flow in regards to stroke? Perhaps, Tanya, I'll start by uh, asking you to respond to that. Absolutely. It's a great question, and it's a question we get quite frequently. And we've done some preliminary studies to show that we do get flow. We don't necessarily know exactly where that flow is coming from. So we've started a collaboration with another group to look at a model of middle cerebral artery occlusion and try to actually develop a protocol and application notes so that other users can mimic the same thing. So we're starting that collaboration quite soon and hopefully in the next couple of months we'll have an update and and perhaps even do a webinar which would show those results and help share that information as well. Dr. Reddy, did you have anything else to add for that question? Yes, uh, Tanya. Um, yeah, this uh, question has been on our minds for a long time because uh, it's uh, harder to figure out where exactly the vessels are flowing. But uh, we are looking forward to getting these studies done. The one of the things that I have done with a group where they were working on stroke models is basically they occlude the um, cerebral artery going through the um, right carotid artery and essentially what they wanted to see was do we have a flow on one side and not on the other side and they suggested that I look at near the eye of the mouse so what we were able to do was put the probe very close to the eye of the mouse and able to focus on an artery. I'm not quite sure which one it is, but uh, we do get nice uh, flow. We did this on a control mouse on both sides and got very similar flows on both sides. And when we switched to the stroke model, one of the eyes, we couldn't measure anything from the same location. So this is a very something very promising, especially to see if there was an occlusion or not. We definitely have to pursue this further to see exactly from where we are measuring what vessel and perhaps establish this, like you said, in future webinars, we may be able to shed more light on the, these measurements. Great. Thank you, Anil. Okay. Yeah, thanks to both of you, and thanks, Anil, for providing us with some information about that uh, preliminary study that you're doing. The second question we have here is, how is it possible to separate the venous and arterial flow using the Doppler flow velocity technique? Sure, I'll let Anil address that question. Okay, the Doppler uh, venous flows are always very little pulsatile, so they basically have a flat line type of shape of the waveform, if you will, whereas arterial flows are very pulsatile, even in the smallest of vessels, they have some pulse component to it. For example, if you go to lower abdominal aorta and try to find aortic flow, it's very pulsatile and just move a little bit to one side or the other depending on where you place the probe, you should be able to catch the inferior vena cava coming in. Likewise, we can also measure flows in the jugular artery, uh, I mean jugular vein, and of course carotid arteries, you have seen that. So most venous flows are 
pretty much flat line type of very little pulsations. They basically look like a band going left and but you do hear uh, the sounds are like whooshing sounds and whereas pulse style flows very distinct sounds from different vessels. I hope that answers the question. Perfect. I'm sure it does. During the webinar today, a lot of data has been shown, obviously, from mice. The question, our third question is, can this technology be easily utilized in rats? Sure. So I'll start with that, and then I'll ask Anil to kind of add on to it. So as I was mentioning, we have the two different probes, the 20 megahertz and the 10 megahertz. And basically what frequency does, it, is, it affects the depth of penetration of the signal and our ability to to look deeper in the animal, so that would be necessary for the rat. So depending on the size of the rat, I think rats vary more in weight and size than mice do in traditional studies. You would choose the probe which is appropriate for the size of the rat, and, and you take a similar approach to the mice. Now when looking at the heart, we can imagine the thoracic cavity of the rat is quite large in, in larger rats, say 500 grams, 350 grams, those types of sizes. So a different approach may be where with the mouse we come underneath the xiphoid process, we may come up closer to the base of the heart and come in through the intercostal space. Now again, this is where the size of the probes become very important compared to those of the ecosystem, for example. The probes are a few millimeters in diameter, so it's quite easy to get between the ribs to be able to get a Doppler waveform. Where with an echo probe, for example, the ribs often uh, cause some shadowing and it's quite challenging at times to get the measurements that we'd like to see. Obviously with the peripheral vasculature, it becomes much simpler and we just, again, choose the appropriate probe and adjust, adjust our sample volume placement um, to match the depth of those vessels within the rat. And Neil, I'm not sure if you have anything else that you'd like to add there. Uh, yes, I would like to mention a few things that's notable for our system currently. Um, both the 10 and 20 megahertz probes, both of them are right now programmed to go up to one centimeter of depth. Uh, of course, there's a pulse repetition frequency that we will talk about um, at a later stage. But what we can do in rats is all the peripheral vessels, uh, we can still use 20 megahertz. And uh, to use the 20 megahertz on the cardiac, we, like Tanya mentioned, we go in between the ribs and we can actually, instead of going from the Z-foid process, from underneath the Z-foid process, what we do is we go from the suprasternal border on the right side of the mouse and aim towards the ascending aorta, and we can get a nice uh, ascending aortic flows. And if you go diametrically opposite uh, to the left side and aim towards the mitral inflow coming in with the same probe from in, in between the ribs, we can get those flows as well. And once the procedure is established, of course, with some practice, you can pretty easily get those two signals. Uh, one of the things we will be doing very soon in the next uh, several months is to change the range on the 10 megahertz probe where we can really double it to 20 because it is capable of going to at least 22 centimeters millimeters of depth so we're going to double that way it can be used from the zephoid if necessary for rats as well so that should uh, tell you that it's you can use it on rats and if you have smaller sized rodents you can use uh, these probes on those as well okay perfect thanks both of you for that answer and this might lead into the next question and perhaps you've already answered it 
Jose has asked if it's possible to use frequencies less than 10 and 20 megahertz. And you've mentioned a couple of times, Anil, that mm -hmm. the paper is using the Doppler flow velocity system with 10 and 20 megahertz probes and how they program for one centimeter of depth. But yeah. why is it that you chose those frequency? What are the implications of using a lower frequency? And can you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah. See, basically, the higher we go on the frequency, the depth of penetration starts to go down. So that means higher the frequency, lower the depth of penetration. Higher the frequency, the better the spatial resolution. And I will definitely say that when you take a 20 megahertz and measure a particular signal, it looks much more sharper and crisper than a 10 megahertz, but doesn't mean to say that it will diminish any of the peak velocity. So we did comparison be between the two and we showed that there's absolutely no difference uh, in when it comes to peak velocity measurement with both probes. It's just like the visually one looks a little bit more sharper because of spatial resolution. But definitely when it comes to depth, the 20 megahertz at 62.5 kilohertz of pulse repetition frequency can go as deep as one centimeter if we change that to 125 kilohertz so essentially if we double that it will cut off at six millimeters so we that particular setting is there on our current doppler system so if you set it to that we usually use the 125 to measure the very high flow velocities that we see at uh, intact banding models. So basically, we're looking at the stenotic jet velocity that can go as high as we've seen as high as six to seven meters per second. So our system is capable of going up to nine. So that's where we switch from a 20 to a 10. Once it goes past 500, 49, I think it's 475 or something like that. If we go past that, we cannot use 20 megahertz. We have to switch to a 10 megahertz, and that will allow us to go higher. Okay. Um, so there are a lot of you know interrelated stuff, but uh, you can use frequencies less than 10. It will allow you to go deeper. But on our system, we have programmed it just for 10 and 20. Okay. Perfect. Jose, ho hopefully that answers your question. Antonia, was there anything else that you wanted to add to Anil's no, response? I just, as Anil kind of pointed out at the end, currently with the system as it's developed right now, we just do have the 10 and the 20 megahertz probes available at this time. So yeah. Okay. Anita has asked, she mentioned that they use very large mice greater than 50 grams in their cardiac echo experiments. And she'd like to know how the Doppler probes would perform with those fat or these fatty mice. Sure, so why don't I take that one? So Anita, very similar to the RAT approach, is we'd select the probe which gives you the signal of interest. So whether or not it's the 10 or the 20 megahertz probe would depend again on how how much depth of penetration we needed for those mice. I presume they're the obese model. And, and whether or not you had to change the approach to similar with the RAT where we come up through the supersternal notch view and begin to acquire those images. But as Anil was talking about, we're able to acquire the same cardiac and peripheral measurements on rats upwards of 300, 400, 500 grams. So a 50 gram mouse would just be treated as a, a large mouse or a very small rat. So it would absolutely be possible using the system. And I would like to add to that. We, we have done several models, you know, obese models up to 70 grams. Uh, most of the fat 
is in the belly area. So for cardiac measurements, you still can go from the xephoid and there's no issues at all. And so I wouldn't treat them any different than regular mice. Uh, if you go further down into the belly area, perhaps, but then again, fat tissue is soft and so you can easily move things around when you're uh, hunting for abdominal aortic velocity. Uh, most of the time we use the abdominal aortic velocity for pulse wave velocity measurements where peaks don't matter. But then again, uh, there may be other applications uh, that you could use it for, but it's not a problem at all. Okay. This is a fairly loaded question, but Shamim has asked, how do you ensure the proper location of the probe with regards to the vessel you're measuring? He goes on to me mention that sometimes their models, or in their models, the heart is not in its normal position. Absolutely. I'll start with this one. I know if you would like to add at the end and go for that. So talking about the how the typical waveforms look like, we I sp spent a bit of time talking about that aortic valve reversal of flow. So that's one way to know that you're at the aortic valve. And of course, with your animal models, if the heart's shifting, you do want to move the probe around and, and find that specific waveform characteristic, if you'd like. And at times, I know Anil was doing a training last week with a group that had an interesting model that we weren't familiar with. There's times where you may have to open the animal and be able to see what's going on train yourself how to use that specific model and then continue forward with them non-invasively uh, once you've kind of assessed what's going on with that specific model. So of course that would only be on one or two animals and then throughout the course of your longitudinal study you'd be able to leave everything non-invasive. But it is a way to train yourself on a, a unique model situation and one that you're not entirely sure exactly where to place the probe. I know. Yeah, um, that's exactly right. Uh, thanks, uh, Tanya, for answering that. And uh, what we have noticed over the years, whether it's a particular myocardial infarction model or TAC model or any other model, what will happen is you have very little space for the aorta to be moved after you have done something to the heart. And most probably it's the mitral that you may be talking about that it might move in position, but the mitral timing and the shape is very distinct. So you will not be able to miss that. It may be not in your normal location from the z but you, if you go move a little bit left and right, and one of the things that with the probe allows you to do is, because it's so small, you can it's pretty much like hunting around, but knowing your regular anatomy in a normal mouse helps where exactly you would find this. So practice on a normal mouse and then going and uh, finding these uh, signals from uh, a, a treated mouse uh, or a mouse that has gone through major surgery is not too difficult to find. Like, as, again, there may be special situations where you may have to initially locate that signal if it needs be by invasive method just to see where it is. And once you get a handle on that, then you, you don't have to do that for the next group of mice. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. For the full webinar, please see the link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.